Amen. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you so much. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. We are, I don't know what you're going to do, but I promise you I'm going to have fun tonight. We're going to have a grand time tonight. We get to the great part tonight. Revelation chapter 4. All right. Now we're going through a period where I believe every believer needs to have sort of a working knowledge of the book of Revelation. And it's not difficult. You got the guy who wrote it to help you understand it. And he's a really good teacher. And uh, Revelation chapter, it's got 22 chapters. I want you to see this now. It's got 22 chapters. Chapters 1 through 20 are, are world history. From the day it was written all the way to the final second coming of Jesus and the judgment. Got that? 20 chapters. Chapters 4 and 5 don't fit in. They're an inter, what you call an interlude. They're not part of the line of Revelation. It, it just at the end of chapter three, which is the end of the church age, he says in chapter four, he says, come up here and we are lifted up into heaven. And chapters four and five are a revelation. Now remember, this is a book of revelation. It is a revelation of what's going on in heaven right now. And it's a revelation of heaven. And it's a revelation primarily of worship. And uh, if I were to ask you if, you, if you could go to heaven right now, what do you think you'd see? Well, listen, heaven is the new earth. There are things in, quote, what we call heaven that are on this earth because the same guy that made this earth made the new earth. And there's landscaping, there's beauty, there's, there's the outdoors. Uh, you got animals in heaven. Uh, you got houses. You know, I know they got houses because Jesus said, in my father's house are many, some people say mansions, really dwellings. But in that new earth is God's throne. It's where, it's where he is physically at. And that's what Revelation 4 and 5 are. It's to lift us up and look right into this. This is a tremendous revelation. This is an open door to see something that nobody can see any other way. So I want us to look in Revelation chapter 4 at the revelation of worship. And uh, let me just, uh, before we read this, it's all about worship. You said that. They sure do worship a lot in heaven. If you don't like worship, don't go. Worship's our eternal practice. Here, here's the reason. Not, not, because I can't, not because the preacher can't fill up the time and we need something to make up more time. Worship is man's response to God if he ever sees him. You know, we all hear the, the, the word G-O-D and we've got our opinions, but if you ever had a revelation, if he ever stood in front of you, your reaction would be to worship. Matthew 28, 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. And our reaction to the, when we finally see the glory of Christ and his beauty will be just to worship him, as, you, as you're going to see here. So it's, uh, it's let, me, let me define worship, because a lot of people think about music in church. That's not worship. That can just be music in church. Worship is to express. You hear the word express. And if you don't express it, it's, it's not worship. You've got to express it. Worship is to express our love, adoration, affection, and gratitude to God the Father for who he is and what he's done. And, and you know, that, that's not the chop-chop Greek definition, but it's to express something. If God is good and great and he's done something for you, worship is to express back to him your gratitude, your affection, your thanksgiving, your praise. It's, it's to give him something. And people say, well, he, I, it's in my heart. That don't count. It's, it's got to be expressed. Nowhere in the Bible of all the hundreds of places people worship was it in the heart only. It's got to be expressed. And you can express it by singing. 
You can do it by speaking. You can do it uh, physically. I will lift my hands unto the Lord, the scripture says. You can bow in his presence. But it's got to be some kind of, it's got to get out of you. It's some kind of expression of gratitude and thanksgiving to him for his for what he's done and who he is. That, that's worse. That's the eternal practice. And let me tell you something. Contrary to what we've been taught, it is, there is no higher calling of any person than to worship God. Amen. The Bible is secondary to worship. Learning the Bible is secondary to worship. Now, I'm not dissing the Bible. I study it constantly. Everything, worship is the highest calling of humanity. You were created to do it. We were created to worship God. And uh, heaven is, is all worship. Now, let's, let's read together in Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, the whole passage. In a couple of weeks, we'll go back slow. There's some wonderful truths in here that we need to see. But Revelation 4, after these things, verse 1, Revelation 4, 1, after these things, after what things? After the end of the church age, and as we saw last week, the church is lifted. After these things, behold, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here and I will show you things. So what he, he, he's on the earth, he's getting this revelation. All of a sudden this voice says, come up here where we are and I'm going to show you something. Well, me and you fixing to see something. If we can come up here and he's going to show us something. What do you see? Verse two, first thing he saw. Immediately I was in the spirit. The Holy Spirit took him there. A throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. What's the first thing you see if you're in heaven? There is a throne and somebody's on it. You know what throne means, don't you? In charge. Let me tell you something. I don't care what's going on in this earth. The Lord rules on the affairs of men. He has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 118. He is on his throne. Now here, let me, let me show you something. This is a great mystery to me. I've never understood why the colors of church are gray and black. He's not a gray and black guy. Here's the revelation of God. Look in verse four. I mean, verse three. He who sat there was like a jasper and stardius stone, stardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. What did he see when he looked at the throne of God? Magnificent, brilliant color. You know, the jasper is the diamond. When you see a diamond, it, it reflects light and glory. The sardius is a brilliant stone. Every color of the rainbow. When he looked at the throne and he saw God on his throne, what did he see? Magnificent color. So why do we do black and gray in the church? This ought to be the most colorful place on earth. Amen. But, but he saw this brilliant color because he is the creator of all color. And uh, sort of a wonderful picture. All right, and, and I want you, as we go through this, I want you to get a picture in your mind. He's going to describe to you what's in heaven right now. And he's already shown you in the middle of heaven is God Almighty on his throne, beautiful color. And I want you to see what's around his throne and what's standing around it here. This is right now. All right, verse four, around the throne were 24 thrones and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, the 12 apostles and the 12 sons of Israel. They were ruled there. <clears throat> they had on white robes, they had crowns of gold and from the throne, verse five, proceeded lightnings, thunderings and voices. Let me make another announcement. I said, if you don't like worship, don't go to heaven. If you don't like loud noise, don't go to heaven. <laughs> There's nothing reverent in heaven. You're gonna read it right here. You know what thunder sounds like, don't you? He said, heaven sounds like thunder and lightning, brilliant. And uh, seven uh, lamps, verse five, the thunders and the voices, seven lamps of fire, which were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. That's just the Holy Spirit. The number seven always is perfection. This is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse six, now in front of the throne, before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal. This again is the Holy Spirit. 
Revelation 22, he shows you the picture that the Bible says there is a river that flows from the throne of God that gives life to humanity. This is Ezekiel 47, uh, Psalm 147. You'll, you'll see this all through scripture. But that again is a picture of the life-giving spirit of God that flows from God <clears throat> into the earth. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures. They had eyes in front and back. The first creature is like a lion, the second like a calf, the third had the face of a man, the fourth was like an eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, got the picture? These four creatures are all different, but they've all got six wings and uh, full of eyes around, and they do not rest day or night saying, here's what they say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You ever heard that before? Isaiah chapter 6, 2,800 years before this. Isaiah said in chapter 6, On the day King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And God lifted him up and saw it. And what Isaiah described in Isaiah 6 is the exact picture. These same creatures flying around the throne, day and night declaring the holiness and the goodness of the Lord. Verse 9, Now whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, <clears throat> who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him. Heaven's sort of a violent place too. Fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him. They worship him who lives forever and cast their crowns before the throne. Got the picture? It's loud. It's wild. People are falling down. They're flinging crowns across the room. This is good. And here's, what, here's their song, verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things and by your will they exist. You exist by the will of God. You live by the will of God. And we're created. All right, verse 5, chapter 5. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back, sealed with seven seals. All right, and, and you got the hand of God, there's a scroll. <clears throat> As you'll see later, this scroll is the judgments coming on the earth. And there are seven great judgments coming. That's why it's got seven seals on it to be opened one at a time, unfolded one at a time. And here's the art. You got the scroll in his hand and it begins in chapter six, these great judgments. Verse two, and I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? So what are they waiting on? They're waiting on somebody to take this scroll and open it, which will begin the judgments of the final age on the earth. <clears throat> verse three, no one in heaven or on the earth around the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open it or release the judgments and read the scroll and look at it. Verse five, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. what do he say? Only Jesus can release the last judgment. And Jesus has prevailed to open the scroll and verse six, watch see if you've seen this before. I looked and in the middle of the throne, right there in the center of the throne, the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Tell me who that is. That's Jesus. Having seven horns and seven eyes. Horns, remember the number seven is perfect in the Bible, perfection. The horns are a symbol of authority. The eyes are a symbol of wisdom in scripture. And yes, the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. All right. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him. Who, so he comes and takes this scroll. Verse eight. When he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp 
and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So Jesus takes this scroll. He's going to release it. And immediately the people in heaven just fall down and begin to worship him. Now I want to point something out here. We're going to come back to in a week or two, but I want you to see this. You ever felt like your prayers just weren't getting through the roof? I want to get, let me, how many of you pray? Does anybody here pray? All right. Let me give you the greatest revelation in the Bible about your prayers. It's in that verse right there. What did they have? Each had a harp. I'm telling you, music is big in heaven. Number three, if you don't like music, don't go. And golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. All right, now my sweetheart, she burns candles. I like them. I, I go in the house in the evening after I've been gone all day. And you, you just, there's this sweet smell in the air. She burns him candles for that. So, I mean, we were young, we burned incense for different reasons, but you burn this, you burn candles. And it, it's just a sweet fragrance in the room. Some of you got them diffusers. I got one in my office and there is a sweet smell in heaven. Yeah. What is it? It's your prayers. So we, we don't need to go by how we feel. We need to go by what God's word said. This is a revelation of prayer. And what are, they, what, are the, what are these elders holding up before the throne of God? Your prayers, which are a sweet fragrance to him. There's nothing sweeter than the saints worshiping God in prayer. And praise is the highest form of prayer. And, and you say, I don't, I don't, your prayer don't need to get through the roof. I'm not being sacrilegious because he's not in the attic. He's in his throne room. And your prayers are the incense of heaven. They're that sweet fragrance that is in heaven there. We'll come back to that later. Alrighty. So they fell down at verse nine. They sang a new song. A lot of singing goes on up there too, doesn't it? Here's the song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, which will release the judgment because you died. We're slain. What does it say? Because you died on the cross, you're worthy to bring the judgment. And you've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation all across the globe. The Bible said this, and you've made us a kingdom. It should say a kingdom and priest to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, a bunch. You can do the math. That's a lot of people singing. I listened to their song, Worthy is the Lamb. Verse 12, saying with a what? If you don't like loud singing, don't go there neither. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13. Now here's the fulfillment of Philippians 2. Every creature which is in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, in the sea, all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. What did the Bible say in Philippians 2? Because Jesus humbled himself unto the point of death. God hath highly raised him up and given him a name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Of course, this is the fulfillment of it. Everybody praising him and blessing him. All right, one more verse. Verse 14. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Here's the revelation. Heaven is wild. It is not a reserve. If you like a dignified worship service, don't go. If, you're, if you like reserve, don't go. Heaven is what? Is this the revelation of Jesus Christ and of what's going on in heaven? You just saw what's going on in heaven right now and we'll go on forever. What is, when you see this, what is the outstanding revelation of heaven? It's the eternal worship of God. 
Worship is the revelation of heaven and the wonder of what goes on in that place. Now, heaven is worship. Here's why. It is our response to his great love. What am I going to do because God loved me? Buy him a pocket knife? I'm not I'm being killed. What do you do for somebody that's done what he did for you? Listen, he, he said this. What are you going to give me? Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Where's the house you can build for me? What's the one thing we can give him he doesn't have? Heart, worship, adoration, affection, and praise for who he is and what he's done. And this is the revelation that heaven is what it is when he says, now let me point something out here. This is not church singing. You can sing and not worship. You can sing and not worship. Uh, and it's pretty passionate. It, it's not, it, it's expressed, but it's got to come from the heart. It is heart adoration. And uh, the purpose, I'm going to take a minute. I want to talk to you about the purpose of Holy Spirit worship. And it affects Christ. It affects me. It affects the powers of hell. And it affects people around me. But let me tell you something about worship. It, it's not we got to get in America. When you say worship service, we think of these services where people come in and, and struggle through a song. That is not heart worship. That's not spirit worship. Here's the great verse that qualifies worship in the Bible. It's John chapter four. And it says this, <clears throat> a day is coming and now is in which those who worship the father will worship him in spirit and in truth for such the father is seeking to worship him. That's John chapter four, when a lady said, you know, we worship at our church, you worship your church. Jesus said, wait a minute. It's not about going to church. A day's coming when people worship God in the spirit. And, and, it, and he's seeking people. Tell me what God's looking for. He is seeking those who will worship him in spirit. Because dear ones, God is spirit. The next verse says God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If I get in here and sing songs and my mind's on golf or, or I like the music and it's got a good beat, I'm not worshiping in spirit. I'm worshiping in flesh or human ability or rock and roll or boogie woogie. Or, you know, people say, well, I just love the old songs. That's not the spirit. That might be nostalgia for something your grandma sang. I don't care whether it's old, new, or it was written, or it was written somewhere in between. It's got to be the worship of God in the spirit. It's got to be from the heart and it's got to be passionate for it to qualify as spirit worship. And uh, I'm, I'm convinced we're getting, we need a new revelation of worship. This is the one area where I think the church is most blind in is worship and what it was intended to be. So let me talk to you about worship for a minute. Here, let me tell you how we worship because of what it does for Jesus. This is one of the greatest revelations I ever had years ago. Worship affects Christ. Let me show that to you. Turn me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Let's look at the 10% club here. In Luke chapter 17 is one of the greatest revelations. It is my heavenly father, is the Lord Jesus Christ some kind, of, some kind of Saddam Hussein neurotic that wants people to bow down to him? No, a thousand times no. Everything he does is good. I'm having to think when you sing, now I'm not talking about when you just sing because I hurt and get the music over with so I can hear the preaching. That's not worship. How many of you think when you really, from your heart, want to sing to God, how many of you think he hears it? Yes. What does it do to him? Well, let's look. Look in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, entered a certain village. Ten men were lepers. They're dying. They got external cancer. They're going to die. Stood afar off. And the Bible said, uh, 
they lifted up their voices. Verse 13, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. Why did he say that? He is a God of faith. There's always some step you're going to have to take to get his blessing. Well, they knew there's only one reason you can go see the priest. Why is that? Because before you can go back to your family, if you're healed, the priest has got to declare you healed. So he said, go see the priest, which they knew that meant he'd done something. And the Bible said this, as they went, they were cleansed. Isn't that good? Just the kindness of God. Now watch this. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, returned and with a what? Loud voice glorified God. Pretty embarrassing, wasn't it? Watch this. And fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. What do we see in Revelation? Loud voices, people falling down, praising God. Do you think Jesus was embarrassed by this display of emotion and affection and this guy laying in the dirt screaming? Do you think he was bothered? What was Jesus bothered by? (laughs) Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? What's his words? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned? Now, what, what, this guy, all right, listen, this guy is with a loud voice. He's thanking him and praising him. He's falling down. Watch what Jesus called what he was doing. To give glory to God, except this foreigner. Jesus sees when we worship and he is affected. He's not mad because you don't, but obviously it touches the heart of God. And he's blessed by our worship. So much so. Now, you know why I call it the 10% club? Of all the people God does great things for, which is every human being breathing, I don't about 10% want to go back and worship him and praise him and thank him for what he's done. And I want to be part of the 10% club. I don't want to be part of the 90% that ran off to the priest. Why would you go to the priest when you can go to Jesus? I shouldn't throw that in. But he come back up, just worshiped and praised God. Can you not see it had an effect on Jesus? If Jesus didn't care about our worship, why did he say, go ahead, no, catch up with the other guys, go see mama. This guy coming back and worshiping him passionately had an effect on God. And it touched the heart of Christ. Listen, let me tell you something. It still does. He doesn't change a bit. That's why we worship him because he, by faith we know according to this word, he hears it and he responds to it. Number two, all right, if that's what it does for Jesus, what does worship do for me? Now, this is where we had to learn something here. We had to learn. This is the tool God's given us to help us in this, in this day and in this hour. What does worship do for me? <clears throat> Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Turn to the right to Ephesians 5. I want you to look at the effect of worship on me. Ephesians chapter 5. I have, I've never understood the problem with the Holy Spirit in churches. I've never understood why he's ignored. I've never understood why people don't like him in churches. I just, I don't understand why the one great tool God gave us to get us through this day is not honored more. And, uh, I, this is a passage I've never understood why people don't lay hold of this. It's, it's been in the Bible for 2,000 years. All right, <clears throat> let's read this. Don't, don't make it complicated, dear ones. Just read it like it's written. Ephesians 5, 17. Do not be unwise, all right? But understand what the will of the Lord is. Dear ones, have you ever heard this? We should do the will of God. Yeah. What does the Bible say? Don't, don't be unwise. Find the will of God. What, does he want me to be a dentist or a bus driver? No, no, you're nine miles off. Find the will of God. Listen, understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine. You don't need it anymore. Be filled with the Spirit. What's the will of God for my life? To have the Holy Spirit draw close to me. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled to, and listen, this is not a, uh, <clears throat> this is not a I know by faith thing. This is a tangible thing. 
You know what I mean by tangible? You can feel it. You can experience it. He, when he draws close to you, you should know it. Well, now the Lord's told me that it's, he said, son, understand my will. I want to give you my spirit to help you. You can't love like I want you to. My spirit can. You can't resist temptation apart from me, but my spirit can help you. you you're going to be depressed if you read the news, but my spirit will bring you joy. The, the will of God is to give you his spirit to live. And I, you know what I say to that? Amen. I don't know what people got against it. I used to be part of a denomination told you to run from it. I'm running to him. I need the every hour. I don't, I don't understand religious people. Okay, I, I'm all about that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, want, I want you to watch something. Verse 18, let's read it again. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Is there a period after the word spirit? It's a comma, which means don't stop reading. Speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, another comma, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of Jesus. What do you tell me right there? I want to fill you with my spirit, son. And the way, you, the way you draw my spirit to you is to praise me and sing to me and worship me and give me thanks for what I've done. When I worship God from the heart level, whether I'm by myself or in a crowd, I should experience the spirit of God draw close to me. Can you see clearly in this passage that I should be filled with the presence of God and with his spirit? He wants to give me a spirit. And I said, well, hit, hit me, hit me. That's not how it works, dear heart. What's his way of bringing his spirit into my life over and over again? Worship. To praise God and sing to him. Now listen, it don't have to be out loud. You notice in that verse it said, making melody in your heart. I can sing in my heart and never open my mouth. I can give thanks on, I can just walk around being grateful and thanking him and praising him. And uh, I, I began to practice with this years ago. And I said, well, if this, this part of the Bible don't work, none of it works. He tells the truth right here. And there's times where I'll get in, we're all drawn into situations where there's strife, junk, discouragement, mess, and you get that mess on you. And you say, I don't like that. I don't like the way I feel right now. I don't like this junk and this, especially in the land we're living in today. Well, you know what I need to do when I get like that? When I get dirty, I take a bath. This isn't hard. And when I get the dirt of this world on me, I want to be washed by the Spirit of God. And I want the, I want the crap. I'm, I shouldn't say that in church. I want the strife and the fussing and the negative and the garbage. I want it washed off of me. And I want it replaced with the joy and peace and hope of God. Guess how I do that? Worship God. Worship draws the Spirit of God to you. It, it brings you closer to Listen, I've got a standing invitation from the Holy Spirit at any time in my life. You know what it is? Come up here. Here's the revelation. He spoke to me and said, come up here. Now he, he didn't, you coming up here whether you like it or not. No. He don't drag you into his presence. He invites you. But I've decided I can come up here anytime I want. I'm not talking about physical up. I'm talking about spirit up. And I, I can enter his gates and come into his presence and experience his spirit anytime I want. I've got to stand an invitation from God to come where he is in the spirit and be touched tangibly by his spirit. And uh, that's why we worship as a church. So we should like when we should begin to worship, we should hear the spirit of God say, come up here. What's her name says, come on down. Well, he says, come up here. And we should just hear God say, come up. We should never worship and not experience God. So good. We should never privately or corporately. 
We should always worship God and, and do it in the spirit, do it the way the spirit wants it done, be sensitive to him so that people know God just touched me and I'm in his presence right now. And you, any believer can do this. You got a standing call from the father to come up here at any time you want to. Now he, he, he lifts me into his presence. Let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit draws close to me, there should be a tangible peace. I mean, I should just go, It's like the junk just falls off. Yeah. There should be a tangible joy. Yeah. Let, me tell you, let me tell you how you know it's him. There should be a tangible hope. I mean, the discouragement should disappear like the morning mist. Yeah. There should be a hope. And that, that's in his presence. And not only that, there should, there's healing. Heart healing comes in the presence of God. Uh, many people want to know the let me tell you, there's, we're, we're going to cover more of this later, but we should experience the presence of God. Yeah. And that's, that's through word. Worship is the door into where he is. That brings, you can say it brings him to us or takes us to him, whatever you want to call it. But many people are wondering, I wish I knew what God wanted me to do. I wish I knew the answer to this problem. You know how God speaks to you? Let me show you. Turn to Acts chapter 16. If you want God to speak to you, listen, we've settled the fact that he talks to his children. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They hear me. Well, how do I get him to talk to me? Well, I'm fixing to show you. Acts chapter 16. If you want God to talk to you, you got to pick up the phone. Are you with me? You got to pick up the phone. You got to hang up that 1-900 number. But you got to pick up the phone. Here's how you do it. This is so simple. I, I just, oh, I'm sorry, Acts 13. I don't understand why people can't see this in scripture and practice it. How many of you believe that the apostle Paul who wrote most of the news, how many of you believe he could hear God speak? How'd he turn it on? All right, let's read it. Here's how he turned it on. Acts chapter 13. In the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers and he lists five teachers. Verse two, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke. When did God talk to them? As they ministered to the Lord. Now, Dennis, what does it mean to minister to the Lord? Just worship God. Praise Him, magnify Him, thank Him. You know, if, if I'm in the church here, not, not during corporate worship, but say we get done with corporate worship, and Richie says, uh, the Lord's laid it on my heart to sing this song for y'all. And we stay seated, and He sings this song over us. And God just touches my heart and encourages me by that song. Well, you know what happened? He ministered to me. He ministered encouragement or hope to me through a song. Well, when I worship God, I minister to Him. Yeah. When does He talk to us? When we're complaining and worrying? That, that's that 900 number. 1-800, let me think of it. 1-800-HELLO-HELL. You don't want that number. <laughs> Listen, complaining will bring you into the presence of hell in a moment. How do I hear the voice of God? As they ministered to the Lord, that's when He spoke. And you notice He told them exactly what they needed to hear. One of the reasons that we're not hearing the voice of God today is the church has quit worshiping. And people, listen, if you want to hear him speak, worship yeah. in your heart. Just, just create an atmosphere of worship all the time. You, you hear his voice in, in that. So it's, we'll come back more later. Several things it does for us. Now, number three, what does worship do to the powers of hell? What does worship do to darkness? I'm telling you the presence of hell is dominating in this earth right now. It's on believers and we're trying everything in the world except the one thing God gave us to get rid of hell. 
I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61. This is that tremendous prophecy that one day the Savior would come to earth and this is what he would do. All right, Isaiah 61 is the prophecy of what Jesus would do when he came to earth. And if you remember, when Jesus got here in Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6, he went into the temple and he quoted this passage when he started his ministry and said, here's what I'm here to do. And in Luke 4, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And he, he went on and he quoted Isaiah 61. Well, here's the passage. I want you to see what it says in here. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's an, the Lord's anointed me to preach good tidings, good news to the poor. He sent me to heal, to proclaim freedom, to open the prison. Why did Jesus come to this earth? To bring life and healing and freedom and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, God's going to bless you. All right, watch, I want you to read verse three with me. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. How many of you know we need some beauty for the ashes that have been burned on this planet? The oil of joy for whining. Mourning. Dearest, Jesus did not come to make people frumpy. You all know what frumpy is? He said, I brought the oil of joy to the earth. All right, here's what I want you to see. The garment of praise for the what? That smothering spirit of heaviness and discouragement and garbage. Listen, there's a spirit of heaviness on the land right now. I see it on people. It's, it, and listen, it, it's not circumstances. We think it's because of the way the earth is. It is not circumstances. What does the Bible say it is in Isaiah 61.3? It is a spirit. It is a demonic presence that's laying on the land right now and people are discouraged, they're hopeless, they're, they're restless, they're unsettled. That is a spirit of heaviness. It's like an old heavy blanket just weighs you down. God doesn't want his people living like that. So he's got an answer for them to get that blanket off of them, that spirit of heaviness off. What's the answer? The garment of praise. Uh, what, tell me what you know about a garment. You got to put it on. The garment of praise is for the spirit of heaviness. Do not live under a spirit of heaviness and despair and discouragement. Put on the garment of praise and watch the spirit of heaviness leave. I mean, lift yourself up with worship because it literally, it literally is a dark presence that's on the land today. Let me describe this presence to you. It is tangible. It is tangible. I, I just see, you know, I have a gift called the discerning of spirits. And I can see the demonic at work in the land. I mean, I mean, hell has belched out horrible demonic presence in this day right now for such a time as this. And our people need to learn how to live in this thing and come above it. And let me tell you what the spirit of darkness says. It is tangible fear. Fear is a spirit. I hear people talk about they're afraid of what's going to happen in the nation or they're afraid of this. Listen to what the Bible said. Listen, will you believe the scriptures? 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, God did not give us a spirit of fear. It's not your circumstances, it's a spirit. It is literally the presence of fear on people's lives. Uh, worry. Worry is the demonic, worry is hell. Worry is a presence from hell and it gets on people. Depression, I'm not talking about cl clinical depression, chemical depression. I'm talking about the heaviness that's on the land. That is demonic. It's a demonic presence that's on people right now. And you just... This will get on anybody. The anger and the bitterness, that was born in hell. Ah, that's pure demonic, what's going on in this land right now. Tempt anybody ever been tempted? Temptation is a spirit. Now, my flesh can tempt me, but not that hard. But when I've gone for years 
and not been tempted by things that I was in bondage two years ago. And all of a sudden it comes back around and starts battling on me. That ain't resurrected flesh. That's demonic. And, uh, and, and then that other, another ugly spirit will beat you up and say, if you was a Christian, why are you thinking like that? By the way, he's a liar. I started to point that out. Let me tell you one of the great presence of darkness in the land today, hopelessness. People losing hope for their families, their futures. This, this is demonic. What is it he has given me to get all this garbage off of me so I can live in the light of his glory and grace. What is it? I'm giving you the garment of praise for this spirit of heaviness. But he's not going to make me wear it. I got to put it on just like I do my coat or my shirt every morning. I don't want to show you something wild in scriptures. Turn me to Isaiah, excuse me, Psalm 149. Psalm 149 is a, is a revelation picture. Um... Psalm 149, I, I saw this psalm years ago and the Holy Spirit opened and showed me the truth of it. And I said, praise God, I got it now. Dear ones, if I'm walking through a dangerous part of town and I don't have my trusty 45, I'm a little nervous. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But if I got my 45 stuck behind my belt, I'm not near as nervous. Well, I figured out it ain't bullets that takes care of devils. It's something else. And it's in Psalm 149. I want you to see the revelation here. By the way, Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. It's in the middle of the Bible. That in itself is a revelation. It's the book of worship and praise. Worship ought to be the center of our lives and the biggest part of our lives. All right, Psalm, all, the, all the Psalms are great. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. What do you see at the end of the letter D after Lord there? Well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We're missing it. Why are there so many exclamation marks in the Bible and the church looks like it's been vaccinated with pickle juice? This is a mystery to me. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. And the Bible says this. Let's, let's read the next part there. Let them praise his name with the dance. I, I've never understood why the group I used to be in was against dancing. You can't make it no plainer right there. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. Those are stringed instruments. Mike Bright had on a shirt. I think it's Psalm 147. Praise him with the strings. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. When you rear back and praise God, it just blesses his heart. He takes pleasure in it. And what happens when we do that? He will beautify the humble with salvation. Now watch this. Let the saints be sad in glory. Be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their bed. If you live by yourself. All right, now here's the revelation. You got to get this. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. That don't make a lick of sense. What has me singing got to do with a sword? Do you know what a sword, what is a sword for? Doing damage to your enemy. Can you see that when I rear back and I got the high praises of God in my mouth, it is a weapon in the spirit realm to do damage to the powers of hell.
Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations, punishments on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fettered and fire. You ever heard that word bind in the Bible before? Matthew 16, Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. We need to do some binding on this earth and he needs to do some binding from heaven. The discouragement, the hopelessness, the temptation, the anger, the hatred, the garb just going on. We need to bind that on this earth and let him move from heaven to bind it. How do you do it? Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. And when we begin to worship and praise God as a church, as an individual, what does the Bible say? If you'll bind it on earth, I'll bind it from heaven. If you'll begin to worship me, I'll move against that thing from heaven. And I'll, you know what bind means? Render it helpless. I'm going to chain you the garbage up. All right, here's the, here's the wonderful promise here. <clears throat> to execute on them the written judgment, this honor have all his saints. We're, we have the honor of executing the written judgment on the evil one. What's the written judgment? Genesis chapter 3. When he said, here's your judgment to Eve. He said, you'll bear children and you'll suffer. Adam's judgment was, what was his judgment? You have to labor and by the sweat of your brow, you'll feed your family. What was the judgment he pronounced on the serpent? You will bruise his heel and I'll clear he's done it, but they will crush your head. Yes, what is the written judgment? To crush Satan. Why does Romans 16 say, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet? Under your feet, yes. not his feet. The written judgment is that Satan's going to be crushed. Why is he running rampant in the earth? It is an honor. If you were to say to me, that, that unholy devil who has done so much damage, hurt so many people, broken so many homes, would you like to be the one to throw the electric switch on him? It, that would be honor. This honor have all his saints to execute judgment on the evil one. You say, well, how do you do it? You rear back and praise God. You said, don't make a lick of sense. Does that trouble you? You read it right there in scripture. And I'm telling you, we, we would shut this junk down. There was, this is the Father's chosen deliverance is worship. Yeah. The way that we break the garbage in our lives and the way that we stop that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later. But I'm telling you, hell is ruling in the land because the church is not worshiping God in spirit and truth. Yeah. And it rules in our lives because we are so interested in being intellectual instead of being spiritual. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, we need to quit thinking and start worshiping. You ain't going to hear much better than that. We need to quit thinking so much and start worshiping more. And watch that, just watch the garbage. I, I, there's been times where I've been harassed. Listen, dear ones, it, it is normal to be harassed by darkness. That's the promise of God. It is not normal to be beat to death by them. We should win. There have been times where I'll just, I'll just mess going on in my life, in my head, around me. Everybody's acting crazy. And I just go, what the hell's going on? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will say, yeah. Yeah, and I'll go, I know what to do. You don't need to pray. Just rear back, start praising God and worshiping God and to, from your heart, thanking Him for His goodness. And I mean, I don't care whether you, do you see feel like it anywhere in there? You, listen, you'll never walk by faith if you wait and feel like it. You've got to start out by faith. You'll feel like it later. And just rear back and praise God. And if it's bad enough, I'll get out behind the barn where nobody can see me. Because we're fixing to have a devil slaying bloodbath out there. And praise and worship God and holler. And I'll just be in the middle about the third song singing. And I'll just, all of a sudden, I'll stop and go. And I hear these little voices going, ah! I'm being cute, but why are we put up with this mess? 
the American church, we're too sophisticated and smart to worship and it's killing us. Let me throw in one more before we have to quit here. What it does for others. If we'll become a people of worship, it'll do things for other people. One of the strangest, wonderful, wonderfulest, wonderfulest, that's a good word, passages in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 14 is where it talks about public worship, what you should do when you come together. Verse uh, 23, I think it is. Let me make sure. Yeah, verse 23 says, when you come together as a church and you worship God and you prophesy and an unbeliever comes in your midst, he will fall down and say, surely God is amongst you and he will worship God. If we begin to worship God in the spirit in our churches, people just show up. They just say, God's in this place. And they would meet God just through the worship. We've lost the spirit worship in our churches. It's become professional. And there's nothing wrong with whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all you might. But you can't replace the Holy Spirit with professionalism. And it's become ritual and rote. Okay, time to sing our two, you know, I feel as left out as the third verse in the Baptist hymnal. You know what that means? We always sang first, second, and last verse. I don't know what's wrong with the third. And, and we just go through the motions. Let me tell you, we're not worshiping when we do that. Dear, you got to worship from the heart. And Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7 to the preachers. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And we can't let worship become rote, ritual, time to sing. I hope they, I hope they don't sing long today. We're missing the whole point of church. And we begin to worship and praise God. His presence should come in and people that don't know God should just, just what the Bible say? They'll fall down and say, God's in this place and they'll worship him too. And, and people should come in with the sins, holding on to their sins. And when the church at worship, people will just melt before him and say, I'm so sorry. And the presence of God just washes sin away and people repent. People should be healed in worship. because It's where God draws close to us. I got to go back to the worship. Let me tell you a story. A buddy of mine, I grew up with him. He was five, six years older than me, but we ran together when I was a teenager. And he was rough. He grew up in an orphanage. And he was one of the best street fighters. I mean, he was fast as lightning. And we hung around together some. Well, he got married, married a wonderful lady who's a Christian. I, we went our separate ways. I didn't see him for years. <clears throat> and he became very successful in business, opened his own company. Years later, I see him at a church, at a conference in Charlotte. And I said to him, what are you doing here? He said, I, he said, I love God. He said, I worship God. I go to church here now. I said, God have mercy. What? How'd that happen? He said, well, you know, Jane, Jane goes to church all the time. I said, Jane, she told me one day, you're going to come to church or else. So I said, all right, I'll go with you. So I come to church. It was, it was the church we were in. He said, I came to church. We sat in the balcony. I sat up there and all of a sudden they started singing their music. And he said, something just came over me. He said, singing, he said, I started crying. I thought, you lying. I mean, he don't, he don't cry. He said, I just started crying. He said, I look at Jane and said, what's wrong with me? She said, just be quiet. And he said, God just came over me and said, I got saved and I love him. He only went because she drug him up there. But what did it say? When you come together, if we worship God, the presence of God will come in and just change people's lives like that. We need to believe that this would be a house of worship that we would have. You know, we need to start having worship services. Just worship services. We don't have preliminaries. Do you know that the worship's the only thing he gets out of our services? Do you really think he's sitting up there listening to me preach saying, Gabriel, hand me a pen. I need to write that down. Do you really? 
he don't get nothing out of the preaching. He wrote it. <laughs> Sorry. The worship is all he gets. We, somebody should write a song. We are here for you. Worship services, but it touches other people. Let me. T- I got time real quick. Jack Hayford. He's sort of the father of the modern worship movement. In the 70s, he began to introduce what we call, some people call it contemporary worship. God don't call it that, so I don't call it that either. God began to do a new thing to bring worship back in the church. Jack Hayford sort of led that thing. He still uh, wrote the number one all-time modern worship song. But Jack was, he worked for his denomination. He was the evangelism director. His job was to teach people how to win people to Jesus. So he traveled to churches and set up evangelistic meetings. And he began to, God began to speak to him and said, I'm going to change you. You're going to get out of this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to pastor a church. I'm going to give you this church. And I want you to build this church on worship. Come on. Just build the church on worship. And he said, he said, I asked him, well, how will I get people saved if all we do is sing? I mean, we need to quit leaning on our own understanding and trust in the Lord with all our hearts. The human mind is boogering this thing up. So he went to the church on the way of Van Nuys, California, 65 people. And he said, I just taught him how to worship. That's all we did was just worship. Just taught him how to worship. You know, we loved each other and took care of sick people. But we just built that church on worship. It's one of the great churches in the earth now. Thousands and thousands attend. Hundreds of churches have been planted out of it. Hundreds of missionaries around the world. Of course, his son, uh, Robert uh, Gateway Church in Robert Morris, Gateway Church in Dallas, and they've moved the King's Seminary and University there that Dr. Hayford started. And just a humble, unassuming man, but they built their church on worship. And he said, you know, we, he said, we've had thousands of people come through and be dramatically saved just because we worship God. We said, don't make a lick of sense. Who said it had to? You'd be surprised what he'd do if we just do what he says and turn off our heads and turn on his grace. All right. I got to quit real quick here. The cure for so many of our problems today is the worship of God. But we got what, you know what we got? We got a Naaman problem. We got a Naaman problem. You know what the Naaman trap is? Do you remember Naaman, 2 Kings chapter 5? He was the commander of the army of Syria. I'm fixing to teach you something here. Please listen to what I'm fixing to say. He was the commander of the army of Syria. He had leprosy. He was going to die. A girl that he'd captured said, there's a man in my country that can heal leprosy. So his king wrote a letter from Syria to the king of Israel and said, I'm sending my servant to you to heal him. And he went to the door of a preacher's name by Elisha. And he knocked on the door. Elisha didn't come to the door. He sent his servant. And the servant said, it's the king of, I mean, the commander of the Syrian army. And he's got his whole entourage out here. And he's come to you to be healed of leprosy. And the Bible said, Elisha said to him, tell him, go jump in the river seven times. Tell him to go to the Jordan River and dip in that river, jump in it seven times. That's what he told him to do. Listen to what the Bible said. And Naaman turned away furious. He was so angry. Don't you listen to what he said. I thought, we're in trouble, aren't we? I thought, I thought, I thought surely he would come out here and wave his hand over me and heal me. He said, see, I, I thought God would do it this way. And that man almost died because God was willing to heal him. God did heal him. It was his enemy. He was capturing his own people. And God was willing to heal him. But guess what? God was going to do it his way. And it didn't make a lick of sense. How many of you know jumping in the river don't heal leprosy? Who cares? And he's mad. And he's fixing to die because he's so smart.
and God doesn't make sense. Can I make an announcement? He don't have to make sense. And the servant came up and said, sir, could you cool off? Cool your jets. I think that's what it said in Hebrew. Cool your jets. He said, if he'd asked you to give $10,000 to an orphanage, you'd have done it. If he'd asked you to do some great thing, you'd done it. He said, why don't you just do what he says? So he settled down. He said, all right. And the Bible said he went down. The women was washing clothes and they're watching. You know, generals don't run around in shorts and fish shirts. Got on his medals and all that mess. And he goes down and he dunks in that river and comes up one time. What do you think his mind was telling him? Women are just watching him. All of his colonels are watching him. And he's dunking in that. What do you think his mind's telling him? You are idiot times four. If we don't get our big old heads out of the way. But for some reason he dipped. And the seventh time that he dipped, the Bible said he came up and his flesh was like that of a little child. He was completely healed. God wanted to heal him and help that man. But he had to get his thinking out of the way. And even if it looked foolish, he had to be willing to do it. So we look up to heaven and we say, I am so tired of being so depressed. And God says, worship me. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't see that anywhere in there. And there was, worship is the answer for so many of the problems we're dealing with today. Uh, you'd just be surprised what would happen around us if, we, if the church would go back to worship and we would cultivate a heart of worship. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a little bit more. We're gonna, I'll just, I don't want to cut it off because I don't take plenty of time with this. You have to cultivate a heart of worship. It's not natural. It's not natural to give thanks in everything. What's natural? Complaining. It's not natural. We respond to our circumstances. You have to cultivate a heart of worship. You have to make up your mind. I'm going to be a worshiper. Listen to what the Bible said. God is, those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is seeking worshipers. I'm going to be one. Worship to me is more important than Bible study. It's more important than ministry, far more important than ministry. It's, it's the number one thing I do in life is to worship God. And, and you have to cultivate a heart of worship. If you're going to live in hope and peace and joy in the spirit, you've got to make up your mind, I am going to become a worshiper. And I'm going to face the demonic head on and worship through that fog. I'm going to try this. And that involves two things. I'm going to learn how to sing on the inside. And I'm going to sing all the time. I just sing all the time. I sing on the inside. I thank God in my little Baptist church, all them joyous hymns I learned, and I just go right on the inside singing them all the time. I'm rarely in a checkout line that the waitress or, I mean, the cashier doesn't say, somebody's happy today. What are you singing about? You say, it sounds like it's a habit. It's called worship. It's worship. And I'm going to walk around every step I take thanking God for the flowers, for the trees, that I was alive today, that I got something to wear, I got something to eat, I got people that love me, I got a church to go to, the sun is shining, the rain is falling, I don't give a rip. We're going to find something to be thankful about. And you have to cultivate, you got to make up your mind, I am determined to be a worshiper. And, and as, you, as you, let me tell you something, worship releases the Spirit of God in our lives, which in turn stirs our worship. Sort of like a rolling downhill in the snow thing. It just gets bigger and bigger. All right, let me mention this, and I, I promise I'm going to quit one of these days. It's hinged on two things. Dear ones, if you, if worship is hinged on faith. He's a God of faith. And we have to constantly exercise faith to experience His goodness. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith, not emotions. We walk by faith, not circumstances. We walk by faith in this Word. And that means every morning I get up, I have to choose to either walk by faith and worship God first thing out of that bed 
or look around me and see how I feel and what's going on in the land. Now, if you want to live, if you want, at this age, if you want to live depressed, just try finding out how you feel. And just turn on the news first thing in the morning. I, every morning I have to jumpstart my life with worship and gratitude and thanksgiving. I am not getting out of that bed till I have told him this is the day the Lord has made. And I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to thank him for something before I ever throw the covers back. I'm, I praise God at this age, mean as I was. If I'm alive, I got a lot to be thankful for. But you, it is a step of faith to jumpstart worship. And at any moment in the day, and I got garbage around me all the time, just like you do. At any moment, there's a standing invitation to come up here. Go in the bathroom and come up here. Or I can just do it driving down the road, come up here. And we've got to learn to step up into the presence of God by faith. Faith activates it. And then I want to throw in, we're going to talk a lot about this later. Faith worships hinged on humility. You know, God's favorite thing is humility because he gives grace to the humble and worship requires humility. As you're going to see in the scriptures, David was the greatest worshiper that ever lived. He's also probably the humblest man that ever lived. Well, Moses was the humblest, but David was right there with him. Proud people can't worship God because they're afraid of what they'll look like. They're afraid they'll look stupid. Their intellect gets in the way and says, this don't make a lick of sense. That's pride. Humility can worship all the time, no matter what's going on. All right, let me quit by sharing with you the, the prophecy of what's going on in the earth today. God's doing something in the earth today. Of all the houses that were built for him in the Old Testament, you had Moses' tabernacle, the beautiful tabernacle. You had Solomon's temple, which is the most beautiful building ever built. It took 46 years to build it. But David built God a house one time. You remember it was called David's tabernacle. You remember when he brought the ark and it got in trouble and a guy got killed and they figured how to do it right? They tried to bring it with education. They finally brought it with worship. And you remember they got the ark up there and, and uh, that's when David danced and made his old lady mad. Well, he had to put the ark somewhere. So he built a tabernacle. Not much more than a, you ever seen these funeral home tents? Like they put over a grave. It wasn't much more than that. It just had a cloth top, four sides, and the sides were up most of the time. That was called David's tabernacle. It was the shabbiest tabernacle in the Bible. I mean, just, to, I'm not being unkind. It just wasn't much. It was just a place to put the ark. Why was it God's favorite house? Why did he say in Acts 15, 16, and in that latter days, I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David so the Gentiles might seek me. Why was that God's favorite house? I mean, it wasn't near the nicest. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't big. What's the only thing went on in David's tabernacle? 24-7, 365, somebody was worshiping around that ark 24 hours a day. Day and night, you could hear the worship of God in Jerusalem in that he appointed singers to sing, dancers to dance, musicians to play. They worshiped in that tabernacle day and night. And God said, this is my favorite house. That's why I said, David is my favorite man the man after God's own heart. Well, what did the Lord mean in Acts 15 when he said, in the latter days, I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David. It fell down. God's bringing worship back into the earth today. And he's bringing back the worship so that the Gentiles might seek him. Well, listen, we got to quit thinking like us and start thinking like him. You might like donuts. You might, not, you might like uh, Western movies. God likes worship. That's his favorite house. You don't have to have walls or a building. It, wherever worship is, that's where he's coming. That's his favorite place. That's why that blue flame always set on the Ark of the Covenant because they worship day and night. And he said, Here's what, I'm not building fancy churches in the latter days. Have you not figured out yet that intellectual churches are not the answer? 
bop. Worshiping churches. Worshiping people where God's going to work in the latter days. So I've decided that this house will be called a house of worship. This, I'm talking about this one right here. From somebody, I've come up with a saying. I made this up. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. I made another one up. I'm lying. I stole these out of this book right here. I will bless the Lord when everything's hunky-dory. I will bless the Lord at all times. Anybody can worship when it feels good and the sun's shining. The real victory comes when you don't understand nothing. You're hurting. Everybody's mad at you. And you, like Job, stand up and say, he took it. He can take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you can worship when it's not right, that's what makes it right. All right, I got to quit. Sure enough, it's time to quit. I can tell because I can see the Methodists. They're gone, so we got to get out of here. I want you to be a worshiper. I want you to decide, if I don't do anything else in my life, I'm going to be a worshiper. And I'm going to praise God and I'm going to worship Him. And I want you to experiment. Would you all experiment for me? Just try it. Just try this sometime by yourself. Say, I'm going to see if I can draw God close to me. I'm going to see if I can draw His presence close to me. And you can do this with one of the modern worship songs. You can do this with, Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father. It don't matter. It's not the song. It's the heart. And you just rear back and sing and thank Him and praise Him. And then you see if you don't sense something change in the atmosphere. Yeah. And listen, if you can do that, that makes me say, what else could we do? Yeah. He keeps His word. So let's be a worshiping bunch of people. Yeah. Lord Jesus, the greatest privilege in the earth is to bow down and worship You. What do I have that You didn't give me? What is my hope that's not in You? Where can I go apart from You? I thank You that love's so amazing, so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. What a privilege to get to worship God. To think that the prayer that I'm praying right now is the incense of heaven. And every person in here, the, the, from the, I don't care who they are. Thank you that when any person, I don't care how bad they are, how goofed up they are, how struggling they are, when they just bow their hearts and say, I need thee every hour, I worship you. That is heard in heaven. It is the sweet fragrance of heaven. Thank you that you created us to worship you and draw close to you. I I praise you. Your will is that we be filled with the Spirit of God, singing and making melody in our hearts, giving you thanks for everything. Lord Jesus, I know we'll look like a bunch of weirdos if we walk around praising you and singing your praises when everybody else is mad. I'd rather live in the light of your grace and your presence. Thank you and praise you for your goodness. I thank you that one day what we read tonight in Revelation, the picture of heaven, will be there. And Lord Jesus, I'm going to be flinging crowns like the rest of them. Falling down, worshiping and praising. Thank you that the five songs we saw in Revelation, I'm going to go ahead and memorize them so I don't have to watch the songboard while we're singing. I praise you and thank you. We'll be singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain and has redeemed us unto God out of every tribe and people and tongue and nation. What a joy that'll be around the throne of God in your presence just to praise you and bless you. Lord Jesus, I've decided to get a jump start before I get there. Let Jesus be glorified in everything we do. In His precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your patience. went over a little bit. I'll make it up to you sometime.